Uh, we'll get through three, I think. Uh, here's what we've talked about. Basically, Jeremiah is a prophet. Uh, he is a prophet to Judah. Judah has, at this point, what has happened is with, with Judah is there are two nations. There was Israel to the north, Judah to the south. And what happened was Israel had no good kings. They went into captivity. Judah to the south, good and bad kings, they go into captivity. So what happens now is that in, in the scenario, God sends Jeremiah as the last prophet before the temple Jerusalem is destroyed. So what happens is he, sets up, he sends Jeremiah in and he says, Jeremiah, I'm going to ask you to do some stuff. And Jeremiah does. Jeremiah does exactly what God has asked him to do. The book of Jeremiah is a series of sermons that Jeremiah preaches, about 12 messages to Judah and to the surrounding communities. We've talked about all those, hence all the table with all of the stuff. Um, Katie, I forgot you, didn't I? Can we do it at the end during communion? Huh? Yeah, we, we got to do it. I, I don't know, yeah, we're going to do it at the end at communion, okay? All right, I won't forget you, girl. Um, he gives him 12 messages, and... In those messages, God uses a lot of illustrations. So one of them is a scarecrow. And he says, look, Israel, you've got all these other gods. He said, they're like scarecrows. You've got to take them. You've got to set them. You've got to take care of them. You, they are doing nothing for you. You are doing everything for them. And he said, you need to follow the Lord God of Israel. And then God told him to go buy, got to get a new pair of underwear. I grabbed an old T-shirt. And God said, Jeremiah, don't wash it. Put it on. Wear it. Jeremiah does. Where's it for a while? And God says, now take it off. Go put it in the cleft of a rock. He does that. Jeremiah goes away. God comes back to him and says, Jeremiah, go back, get that cleft, get that, get that T-shirt. Should have put it on, wear it. Jeremiah goes, God, do you have any idea how nasty that thing is? God said, exactly, Jeremiah. That's what my people have done. I brought my people clean into the land. I gave them everything they needed, but they turned their back on me. They soiled themselves with all of the idols and the, and the false worship of the land. Jeremiah, I love them. I'll take them back. But you need to understand, Jeremiah, this is what I'm taking back. There's not much left. So then God uses and talks to, Jeremiah talks to people about the idea of a godly versus an ungodly man. And he's actually going to come back to that theme a little bit today. He said, the ungodly man is like a bush in the desert. He said, things grow up. He thinks everything's fine. Difficult times come. And he doesn't survive. So, but the godly man, he's like a tree that's planted by water. Difficult times come. Everything else, he's okay. He's okay because even in times of drought, he can produce fruit because he has some, some root, some, some confidence in God. Then God sends Jeremiah to the potter's house. He said, watch the potter work, and the potter works. And, Jeremiah, and God comes to Jeremiah and says, Jeremiah, you need to understand I'm the potter. Israel's my nation. They're my people. I can do with them what I want. I'm the potter. And then he, said, then he sends him back to the potter's house. He, goes, he said, Jeremiah, go buy you a piece of pot a pot, a clay. So Jeremiah goes down, he buys a, a pot or a cup or whatever you want to call it. And he said, Jeremiah, stand in front of all the people, stand in front of all the leaders and take the cup and just smash it into a million pieces. And Jeremiah does that. And then he explains to the people, he said, you have turned against God and God is going to smash you and scatter you abroad unless you turn to him. Then God sent Jeremiah, told him to make him a yoke he said, Jeremiah, I want you to take the yoke and I want you to wear it and I want you to preach. So Jeremiah walked around preaching with a yoke on him. And one of the, prof, one of the, one of the leaders, religious leaders, they got ticked at him. 
took that yoke off of him and busted it up and said, listen, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. And Jeremiah, knowing that he was from God, doesn't do anything. He walks away and he says, you know, that's God's deal. I did what God told me to do. And then God sends him back and he says, you tell the guy he's going to be dead really fast. And he dies. And last week we talked about the idea of God's love and his mercy and his hesed. And the fact that God is loyal to us just like he was loyal to Israel. And that God's love says, no matter what you do, I will never love you more, I will never love you less because I am committed to you no matter what. This morning we come to three chapters in Jeremiah. And what it is, is in chapter 39, Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. So what happens is you have, from where we ended, in between, and Jeremiah looks, it's kind of like this flashback where he looks at different scenes that have happened all along the way. And things that have stood out in his mind as he got to that one point. So what happens is Jeremiah does that, and that's what we have in there. So we're going to look at a couple of those stories. I'm going to give you a synopsis of the chapter, and we're going to look at a couple of verses and then apply it. And so here's the first one in chapter 34. Here's what it says. It starts with, he said, recently you have repented of what you did, of what you did, uh, what is right in my sight. Now, let me give you the background so you you understand what has happened here. Jeremiah goes back to the second invasion of Nebuchadnezzar. So Nebuchadnezzar is is during that time, and what has happened is one of the kings is in exile. He's now been taken to Babylon. Babylon has come back to attack Jerusalem again. Zedekiah is the king. He's a vassal king, and Zedekiah hears that they're coming back to take his city. So Zedekiah is scared. So what Zedekiah does is he runs and he says, okay, guys, I want you to find out what we need to do to make God happy. So the guys search and search and search, and he goes, hey, here it is. The book of Deuteronomy said that when you had a slave, you could have a slave for six years. On the seventh year, you had to set him free, and he was free to go from that point on. But Israel had said, no, no, we're not going to listen to that. We're going to do our own thing. We're going to keep slaves and keep slaves. So Zedekiah came to the conclusion that God's upset with us because we have continued in the slavery. We have not let the slaves go. So Zedekiah says, I'll tell you what, here's what I'm going to do. We're going to appease God, and we're going to let all the slaves go. That was a good thing. They were obeying Deuteronomy. Meanwhile, what is happening is the army of Nebuchadnezzar is marching towards Jerusalem, and they're kind of there, and they hear that the Egyptian army is also coming to Jerusalem. So what what the, the Babylonian army does is they go, wait a minute we got a problem here, because if they come and we both destroy Jerusalem, then we're going to split the spoils. And we don't share with nobody. So let's go confront them. Let's go stop them down there. So they leave, and they head down to fight the Egyptian army. Now, if you're Zedekiah, what do you think? (coughs) You're sitting there thinking, hey, we got it. So what do you do now? If you're Zedekiah, what do you do now? Here's what Zedekiah does. Hey, change my mind. Slaves, you're no longer free. You've got to come back. You're now slaves again. And that's what he does. And so Jeremiah confronts him and he says, Recently you repented and did right, I sight, God says. Each of you proclaimed freedom to his countrymen. You even made a covenant before me in the house that bears my name, but now you've turned around and profaned my name. That's a big word. Profaned is something that, I mean, that was, when, when, when this was sad, this was bad. 
because that was the one thing you didn't do is profane the name, somebody's name. You'll profane my name. Each of you has taken back the male and female slaves you set free to go where they wish. You have forced them to become your slaves again. It goes on later to say, therefore, this is what the Lord says. You have not obeyed me. You have not proclaimed freedom for your fellow countrymen. So now I proclaim freedom for you. Freedom to fall by the sword, plague, and famine. I will make you abhorred, abhorrent to all the kingdoms of the earth. The men who have violated my covenant and have not fulfilled the terms of the covenant they made before me, I'll treat them like the calf they cut in two and walk between his pieces. This is an idea of the covenant that we talked about actually a couple week, uh, last week. And here's the idea. When they made a covenant in the Old Testament, there was something called a blood covenant. Here's what they would do. Um, let's say Phil and I were going to make a covenant. And our covenant was going to be that um, he's going to give me his truck and I'm going to give him uh, $25 a month for 30 years. Okay? I know what it meant. He's already done the math in his head and so has he. But anyway, um, so we make that covenant. And let's say it was a really serious covenant kind of thing. It was like we, I mean, I said, okay, this is going to be a blood covenant, buddy. Here's what we would do. We would take an animal, usually like a cow, or, and we would split it in half. We would go to a hillside, and we'd kind of set it up on the hillside a little bit. And we'd split it in half, and the blood from both sides would come down and kind of roll down the hill. And we would either step into it or shake hands over it. And it was a blood covenant. Here's what we were saying. If I don't fulfill my part, and if you don't fulfill your part, then we need to become just like that animal. It was a serious deal. By the way, let me rabbit trail. Marriage is a covenant. We call it a marriage covenant. It's serious business. Till death do us part, here's what it means. Till death do us part. Okay? It's a serious covenant. God, that's how God looks at it. You know? And you go, well, what about divorce? What about? I'm just telling you how God looks at it. You know, well, what about divorce? I'm going to take it very simple. God says, I hate divorce. It's really clear. And by the way, it's interesting. Do a study sometimes on the thing God hates. That happens to be one of them. Um, I hate it. You know why? I've seen what it does to families. Not a fan of it. Never will be. It's a covenant. And he says in here, look, I will treat you like the calf they cut in two and walk between his pieces. So God comes to him and goes, look, this is a serious deal. There's a lot of takeaways from this, but here's, I think, the main one, because this is what I see. You know what Zedekiah does here? He practices, for better sake, what I would call convenience or crisis Christianity. You see it all the time. I see it all the time as a pastor. Here's what happened. <coughs> Somebody sits back and goes, you know, I don't need that whole God thing, that church thing. You know, that's like for people who need crutches. It's not me. But a crisis comes. Divorce, health issue, job issue, they lose their job, da-da-da-da. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, pray for me. Somebody who has, for, for 10 years, has never asked prayer goes, will you pray for me? All of a sudden now, we need to be religious. Let's bring God into it. And the irony is, God's there. He'll answer, but they run to God. And so all of a sudden then, I... Start seeing them in church. And then they call and say, hey, can you talk to us? Yeah, sure, I can talk to you. I come over and I talk to them. 
And we work and we get them through that crisis and then they hang around for about a month or two and then what happens? Gone. Till what? Till another crisis. No different than Zedekiah. Oh, the army's coming. Hey, we need God. What do we need to do? Okay, set all the free, slaves free. Oh, oh the, the, the nation turned. They headed down toward uh, Egypt. Oh, hey, look, slaves come back. Let's just go back to the way it was. I watch people over and over and over and over again practice that kind of Christianity, and here's what they say. You know, it works for some people, it just doesn't work for me. Really? Wow, I wonder why. Because you see, I see it differently. I see people who are faithful, people who show up week after week after week, people who make a commitment, who are here every time they can be here. I mean, we got people who work swing shit, can't, and I get all that kind of stuff. But whenever they can be here, they're here, and they're trying to grow, and they're reading their Bible on their own, and they're done. And, and here's what happens. When they go through a crisis, it's so much different. I think a funeral that I was at, I was with a family that they had had a faith and trust in Christ. Everyone, everyone in that family had, and I met with them, and we were talking about the, the, the funeral, and we were talking about the death, and we were walking through all of that stuff. And it was getting late. I walked out to my car. I'll never forget it. Walked out to my car, and I got confronted by some friends who were there. So I'd just come from this situation where it was like the grace and peace and comfort and all those kinds of things existed in that home. I walk out to my car, and I get a guy literally like this far away going, what do I do? I don't know how to help my friend. But I, I don't understand this. Why did this happen? I mean, and he's firing questions that fast at me. Look, I'm not a religious person. I don't want anything to do with God. Don't talk to me about that God stuff, but I want to know how to help my friend. I don't know what my friend's going to do. How can I be a help to my friend? What's my friend? He's firing him that fast. And it's this despair. It's this overwhelmingness of what do I do? My world is caving in. I've got to help my friend. I don't know what to do. I don't know. And he's got that kind of, why? Because he doesn't have what was in that house. He doesn't have, all he knows is crisis kind of stuff. And here's the great thing. You know what? Even, in, even if you want to practice it on Christianity, God will be there every time because of his chesed. But you know who loses? You. Because you don't know what it's like. You are this. And when the stress and the trials and the difficulties come, you dry up because you don't have anything that's real. And that's why it is so important. That's what Jeremiah says. He says, look, Zedekiah, if this is going to cost you if you keep doing this kind of stuff with God. By the way, when we get to chapter 39, you'll find out just how bad it costs him. Because you see, he couldn't, God was not a priority, and he didn't want God as a priority, and it costs him his family, it costs him his kingdom, it costs him his life. God said, all right, Zedekiah, I'm going to give you what you want. I'm going to give you exactly what you want. You know what? I want to challenge you because I have watched families practice the crisis thing and I've watched people practice the consistent thing. And I can tell you day after day after day, it is night and day when people have something solid that they can hang their life on. Never forget my best friend. He'd been praying. We'd been praying about his job situation because he was uncomfortable as a Christian being in that kind of environment. And I'll never forget, we were praying and, and he said, pray with me and God would just be... I'll never forget the day that he got fired. And he called up and he said, uh, 
His wife called, and he said, hey, look, you need to go over and talk to Doug. Doug just got fired. So the whole way over, I'm driving, thinking, what am I going to say to my best friend? How am I going to help him through this? Okay, God, give me the words to say. I walked in, and, and I said, okay, Doug, how you doing? You know, he looked at me and said, and by the way, at this point, Doug, was a, Doug had been a Christian maybe two, three years at tops. And uh, I said, how you doing? He said, great. <laughs> I'm going, like, aren't you going to, like, cry and yell and be ticked and throw something? He's like, great. I said, why? He said, I've been praying for God to take care of my job situation, and he did. He said, it's not the way I would have planned it, but it's an answer to prayer. I'm okay. And I'm walking out of there going, boy, God, I hope I have that kind of faith if I'm ever in that situation. But why? Night and day. And that's what I say. For those of you who never put your faith and trust Christ, you don't, have, you don't understand what you're missing. Christ came not just that you can have life, but that you can have it abundantly, solid, able to weather the storms, able to bear fruit even when times are tough, able to look, a, oh, okay, I'm going to take a rabbit trail, tick some of you off, but that's okay. Um, some of you, you allow the news to decide what kind of day you're having. So here's my question. Who's your confidence in? Any more toes we need to get? I mean, really, you know, we, it's like, oh, no, 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 you know, the world's coming to an end. Da, 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 da. I got I to gotta, I gotta learn how to shoot black powder so when the ammunition runs out, I can defend my house, you know. We actually had this discussion yesterday. If the world comes to an end, do you want to have a gun or a bow and arrow? Yeah, that, that's what was consensus. Bow and arrow, you can always make those. I, I, come on, who is our confidence in? Who's our confidence in, folks? And I, I say it so much. It doesn't mean I don't pray for my country, try to change it, do what I can to do, but I'm not going to let my day be determined by my circumstances. I'm going to let my day be determined by my faith in Jesus Christ. There's a big difference, okay? My faith and confidence in God. Then he gets to the next day, chant, next um, passage. Uh, don't put it up yet. Let me give you the background first. Um, in the next chapter, chapter 35, it's the story of the Rechabites. You know the Rechabites, right? We all know who the Rechabites are? Okay. Moses had a father-in-law. Anybody know his name? Jethro, Jethro, Jethro Bodine. No, um, Jethro, yeah, all the kids are going, who in the world is he talking about? All of you who are of my generation are going, oh, yeah, I remember that. Jethro, Jethro's his father-in-law. Jethro has a kid, ends up, Rechab ends up being dad, and here's what happens. Rechab, so he's related in the lineage of, of Jethro. Rechab has a kid. His kid decides that he's going to go and live out in, he's tired of city life, he's tired of the whole thing, he's going to go out and live out, in the, out, out in like a nomad kind of life. And he does. And they set up some rules for their family. Here, here's some of the rules. They can drink no wine, they can own no homes, they can plant no vineyards, they can farm no fields. So basically, they're what we would call modern day gypsies. They're just going to live from place to place to place. And all the way back to Jethro, there, the, there's this group of the Rechabites, all the way up until the story of Jeremiah. 
So there are Rechabites that are alive during this time. Now here's what's happened. Because Babylon has come in, the Rechabites couldn't live out in the country anymore. So the Rechabites have moved into Jerusalem. And God comes to Jeremiah. He says, Jeremiah, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to the Rechabites, and I want you to take them to the temple, and I want you to offer them wine. So Jeremiah says, okay. So he takes them to the temple. He offers them wine. And what do you think the Rechabites do? What do you think they do? They don't take any. They refuse the wine. Why? This is really important. Why? Huh? No? No, this wasn't a God thing. This was a who had given this command. This was a daddy Rechab thing. Going back hundreds of years. Here's the thing. They said, you know what? No, no, our family tradition, our family history is... We don't do that, so we're going to honor our great, 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 great grandfather. That's who we're going to honor. Okay, so that was the whole concept there of that scenario. Then here's what God says. He says, "Okay, Jeremiah." God comes. Jeremiah comes back and goes, "Hey, God, they didn't take it." And he says, "Yeah, I knew they wouldn't." Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to Israel, and I want you to tell Israel they need to follow me. And he said, I want you to use the Rechabites as an example. Because the Rechabites are following the wishes of somebody who's long dead. And after all these years, they're still honoring the wishes of their ancestors. Israel, on the other hand, my people, who I have worked with, who I have brought into this land, who I'm still constantly in contact with, whom I love with all my heart, whom I am ministering to with prophets and my word and everything else, all of this stuff, they're not even listening to me, and I'm in their life today. Yet the Rechabites, they got somebody way dead in the past they're still honoring. And you tell Israel, the problem is they're not listening to me. And I'm alive and well in their midst. So it's not about all that. He said, I want Israel to listen to me today. I want them to follow me today. So here's the passage. Um, here's what it says, Jeremiah 35. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, This is what the Lord says. Go and tell the men of Judah and the people of Jerusalem, Will you not learn a lesson and obey my words? Jonab, son of Rechab, ordered his sons not to drink wine in command, and this command has been kept. To this day they don't drink wine because they obey their forefathers' command. But I've spoken to you again and again and again, and you've not obeyed me. Again and again I sent my servants and prophets, and they said, Each of you must turn from your wicked ways and reform your actions. Don't follow other gods to serve them. Then you'll live in the land I've given to your fathers. But you have not paid attention or listened to me. The descendants of Jonabab, Rechab, have carried out the command of their forefather gave him, but these people have not obeyed me. God comes to them and says, listen, follow God today. I think there's a lot of implications here. One implication is for a church. When I talk to pastors about their churches, here's what I, here's what I hear. Some pastors say this. Well, you know, we got people that want to change the church, and we're not going to change because we've always done this this way for 100 years. Tradition. They will not change because of tradition. You know what? There's a danger of that. There's a danger of that because the things that we accept today at one point were challenges to, to, wow, to tradition. Give me an example. Music's always a big issue. Here's, here, let me throw this one out to you. 
Anybody here got a big problem with what a friend we have in Jesus? Do you know at one time that was probably one of the most controversial songs introduced to the church in its history? You know why? Because up until then, they never sang things, songs like What a Friend We Have in Jesus. You know why? Their theological view of God was God was high and exalted and lifted up. So they sang songs like Holy, Holy, Holy. They sang songs that exalted the majesty of God, not that made God your buddy. So when it was introduced to the church for the first time, the church went berserk. And they said, wait, 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 wait. we're not going to have a kind of attitude about Jesus that he's like my friend. That's not the view of God that we hold. It was a big issue. Today, we come, we accept that, and ho- we'll sing holy, 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 and what a friend we have in Jesus right after each other. Why? Because you see, at one point, tradition had to be challenged. And there are people who are willing to say, wait a minute. The Bible does teach that Jesus is a friend of sinners. There's nothing theologically wrong with this song. So let's sing it. See? So there's one, there's one point in, in, in which a church has to be able to wrestle with the idea of tradition and really follow God. I have other pastor friends I talk to, and here's what, here's it. It's like, okay, you know, yeah, we're, we're, we're going the whole, you know, we got to put a screen up. Why? Everybody else is putting a screen up. Latest trend. Yep, read it in Preacher Magazine. That's what we got to do. We got to put up a screen. Oh, you have no idea. You have no idea. We don't call it Preacher Magazine. We give it fancy terms. You know, Leadership Journal. Um, four times a year, it's like, 40 bucks or 50 bucks a year now. Anyway, um, we, we, we throw that all out. We have blogs now. You know, we throw all this stuff. It's like, oh, no, yeah, you got to have a screen. You got to have a screen. You got to have a praise band. Oh, if you don't have a 10-piece praise band, you can't have like a three-piece praise band. No, 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 no. This is the latest trend. And they jump to whatever the latest trend is. They're not listening to God. They're jumping to whatever the latest trend is. The tradition of the people over here, they're not listening to God, they're listening to tradition. There's a fine balance. There's a fine balance of being able to listen to God and respond to what God wants you to do. Be careful, you know. Tradition has some great values in it. I love tradition. I love tradition. I think tradition is a good thing. Tradition ties us to Christians from thousands of years ago. Well, let's be careful that we don't grip our tradition so much that when God wants us to go and move a little bit, we're afraid to move. You got to be careful there. By the same token, let's make sure that, you know, it's like, hey, pastor, we got to do this. Really? Why? Well, I visited a church, and that's what they did. Well, don't visit too many churches, because let me tell you something, every church is different, you know? You know, there's not many churches you're going to go to that says, hey, after church, we're going to do a trap shoot. You know, how, you know how hard that is to explain to my preacher friends? They're like, really? When did you guys become a paramilitary church? I don't know. The day I started wearing camo in church, I don't know. You know? But why? But we do it because it meets a need. We have an enjoyable time doing it. It's, it, it we're not afraid to step out of the box. It's something that meets a need with people in our community and our fellowship, and we'll do it until we can't. And then we can't, we'll go to something else. This has to be a need, we'll go to something else. It's okay. Here's how it applies to you personally. Some of you are stuck in a rut, and you won't step out of your box to do something you know God's calling you to do. 
You know God wants you to go talk to that coworker. You know God wants you to take that person out to lunch. You know God is impressing upon your heart to step out of the box and go do something like that, but you won't do it. Why? You're stuck. You're doing the same thing Israel was doing, and you're not responding to God. God says, look, this is, I, I want you to respond. Respond to me. Well, go down that road. Balance out. Don't do, do something because everybody else is doing it. We teach our kids that, but as adults, you know what I see? Oh, so-and-so got a new this or a new that. So I don't visit your homes anymore and see your tool collection. You know, it's like, you know, oh, wow, you know, that's over at Earl's, and he got this. You ought to see the sander that he has. Honey, I need a drum sander. I really, really do. You know, I got to have a drum sander, you know. I mean, you know, we play that game as adults, don't we? So-and-so gets a new car, we got to have a new car. So-and-so gets a new this or a new that. We've got to have a new this or a new that. Look, be careful following the trends. You do what God's impressed upon your heart to do, right? That's a lesson we learned from the Rechabites in Israel. Um, the last one, I'm just going to hit this one real quick. Um, quick story, here's what happens. Jeremiah and a guy named, I'm going to give him a little bit different name because the other one sounds too much like the president and that will turn like half of you off and get half of you excited. So I'm going to call him Baruch. Um, Baruch is a secretary of Jeremiah, and Baruch as his secretary uh, is supposed to write down this stuff. So, so Baruch writes all this stuff down. God then comes to Jeremiah and says, now I want you to go share this with the people. Baruch decides to wait until a fast day when there's a lot of people. He waits till there's a whole lot of people. He takes this thing, that really the first part of Jeremiah, and he reads it to all these people, and they get ticked. They're like, whoa, we're scared, man. God's going to do that kind of stuff. We're scared. We got to tell the king. They go to the king. The king reads it. Zedekiah. The king reads it. And listen to the passage. Here's what it says. Uh, Jeremiah 36. After they put the scroll in the room of Elisha and the secretary, they went off to the king in the courtyard and reported everything to the king. The king sent Jude to get the scroll. He brings it from the room. The secretary read it to the king and all the officials standing beside him. It was in the ninth uh, month and the king was sitting in the winter apartment with a fire burning in the fire pot in front of him. He's a snowbird. Whenever you read there three or four columns of the scroll, the king cut them off with the scribe's knife and threw them into the fire pot until the entire scroll was burned in the fire. So here's what he does. Takes the word of God, the scroll, and he reads like this. According to the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of... Yep, don't like that. Reads three or four more columns. Reads three, a couple more columns. Before he's done, there's nothing left. Solved it. Don't have to listen to any more of that. Then notice what happened. The king and all his attendants who heard all these words showed no fear, nor did they tear their clothes. Even though these three guys urged the king not to burn the scroll, he would not listen to them. Instead, the king commanded Jeremiah, the son of the king, Son of Azrael sent to arrest Baruch, the scribe, and Jeremiah, the prophet, but the Lord had hidden them. We won't talk about how this ends. You'll see that when we get, when we get later. But what you need to understand is this. Here's what he was doing. He took the word of God. Here's a great story. Let me tell you the rest of the story. You've got to read this for yourself. But anyway, here's the rest of the story. Jeremiah comes back, produces another scroll, adds to it the book of Jeremiah you and I possess today. Guess what it's from? This guy's actions. Because the word of God will prevail.
great lesson for us, great reminder for us. And our job is to share the word of God. Let God deal with the results. Jeremiah did what God said. God said, write it down. He wrote it down, told him to go preach it. He went and preached it. King went, I'll end that. God said, oh, no, 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 no. No, 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 you won't. I'll take care of it from here. And he does. We look at that and go, how could anybody do that? Really? Oh, we're not going to cut it out and tear it up. We're just going to ignore it. We're going to pretend it's not in there. Yeah, God, I know you say I should treat my wife that way, but you don't know the woman that I'm married to. And if you knew her, you would have put like an asterisk with an exception clause underneath the bottom. Oh, God, what do you mean? Serve my master, my boss, as the Lord. He thinks he's Lord anyway. You know the ego of my boss? He thinks he's God anyway. What do you mean serve him as I'm serving you? You've got to be kidding me. You don't know my boss, God. Let's not go that route. When you read something that you don't like in the Bible, there's a lot in there I don't like. There is a lot in there I don't like, believe me. If I could write it, it would be a lot different. We'd do away with a whole bunch of the whole judgment thing and the hell thing. I'd do away with, it would be a little more like, live, live, enjoy your life, don't worry about other people. Because um, technically, from a philosophy point of view, if there's no God, life should only be about yourself anyway. I'd, I'd write some things differently. That, that love your enemy thing, love your en- forgive your neighbor, I'd have a number and it wouldn't be 490. The, um, you know, I would have something in there like, treat everybody the way they treat you. Be a lot easier to live that way, wouldn't it? Oh, wait a minute. That's the way most of us live anyway, right? Oh, that's not what the Bible says. We love our neighbors ourselves. Not the way they treat us. Listen. And that whole, oh, by the way, that whole children obey your parents thing, oh, it'd be a whole lot more strict. And it wouldn't end like when they move away either. <clears throat> We'd change a lot, wouldn't we? You see, that's the beauty of saying, you know what? I'm going to take the whole thing as it is, and I'm responsible for it. Whether I like it or not, I can't pick and choose. I need to obey all of it. When God shows me an area in my life that I need to come in line with, I need to change. Don't need God's word to go away. I need to change. So there's a lot of lessons in here for us, you know. This morning, I, I want to challenge you with the idea of, look, I don't care whether you agree with me, but you're accountable to this book. You're accountable for what it says. You're accountable to do what it says to do. You think you can get to heaven any other way? Go at it. This book says there's only one way. This book says I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. It is the only way. Period. Period. No matter what you think, I'm telling you what the book says. I don't like that. I'm telling you what the book says. Let's value it. Let's treasure it. When it comes to our choices in life, let's be careful. 
Let's keep that balance between doing what the Lord says to do, not getting too hung up on tradition, not getting too hung up on trends, but being where the Lord wants us to be. And ultimately, for each of us, may we kind of learn from, from some of those stories on, on exactly what God wants each one of us to be. To be the kind of people that God has called us to be. And let's not get caught up in that crisis Christianity kind of thing. Because in the end, we're the one that pays the price for that. So my prayer for you is this. Crisis Christianity has a cost. And you're the one that pays that cost. Be sensitive to the voice of God in your life this week. Listen to him. And you know what? When God speaks to you, like it or obey it. Obey it. As the old song says, trust and obey. There's no other way. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thanks for this day, for this time, for your word. Lord, use it in each of our lives. God, may we not pick and choose. May we not practice Christianity that only turns to you when things are going tough. And Lord, help us in all we say and do to honor you with our lives. And we'll give you the honor and glory and the praise since we ask in your name. Amen.